What's up? What's going on? It's the Frog King, baby, a.k.a. Poppy Picante, coming at you. What's going on, guys? Got a new episode for you today. Episode number 32 of Where I Belong. My guest today is Eric Lundy, previously a stand-up comedian uh, and constantly, to this to this day, a comic book enthusiast. He currently has an app out called Hollow Leg Comics. And it's a pretty cool concept because what Eric has done is he has taken... Well, you know how... Well, you see when... If you get comics today, you can download them on your phone, right? And it's an analog. It's a, it's a swipe left or right, and you can read the comics uh, panel by panel or page by page. What Eric has done is he's taken this format of uh, touchscreen, and he's added other layers to the comic experience. Where, for example, you can... He's, he's got one right now that he's very happy about where you can, much like a scratch-off, uh, scratch away a cover to reveal an image beneath it on your, on your iPad. And uh, there's a bunch of different interactive features with this app, but it's very cool. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense because it's kind of like, well, why haven't we been... I've seen people do something a little bit similar, but he's really uh, focusing on that. And it makes sense because it's a different medium. Why would we take in comics in the same way that we've been doing when the medium is completely different? And so Eric is... Uh, like I said, created an app for the iPad called Hollow Leg Comics, where you can create your own comics as well. Uh, he's got a lot of fun stuff going on. He's a very cool guy. We actually, this is a, a great episode. We went pretty deep there on uh, on Marvel Comics, maybe the, the latter half or the latter quarter of the episode, um, which is really exciting for me because as a Marvel fan, a big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I haven't really had an episode where I, uh, my guests and I were on the same page about it and we were able to talk about it. And I'm just such a huge fan of, of what they're doing. And Eric is very knowledgeable. Uh, you know, he's he's been a fan of comic books for a long time. And so it was great to be able to talk with somebody about that. And uh, and there was a bunch of other things that we touched on as well, but uh, Eric has a lot of, we have a lot of shared interests as far as uh, whether it's stand-up comedy or it's comic book-related media, and so it was very cool. Uh, I had a great time talking to him, and I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and you should go on your iPads, if especially if you're an artist and you're into drawing, and go give Hollow Leg Comics a try. Uh, it sounds very exciting. I, I unfortunately don't have one myself. I used to draw. I used to draw. And I told Eric after the show that, uh, you know, one of the, I had a nasty habit of like gripping the crap out of the pencil or the pen that I was drawing with until my hand would cramp up. I was never somebody, I could never shake that. And uh, I don't think that's the reason that I stopped drawing. I just kind of grew out of it um, or moved away from it. But I was once pretty good. I used to draw Dragon Ball Z characters. That was my thing, man. Dra- drawing Dragon Ball Z characters. That was my thing. I was a big fan of that show when I was young. And uh, and I really took to that style of drawing. 
Uh, anyway, uh, so if you have an iPad, and especially if you're an artist, I, I highly recommend going and checking out Hollow Leg Comics and and uh, and letting letting Eric know what you think about him. And you can find him on Instagram at Hollow Leg Comics. Um, so, like I said, I really enjoyed this episode, and uh, Eric is a very cool guy. And we had a lot of fun st- stuff to talk about, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. So, uh, please give it up for Eric Lundy. All right, Eric Lundy, I do believe we are on. Cool. How you doing, brother? Good, thanks. How about yourself? I saw um, the, uh, what is it, Randy Couture sex tape today? You watched it? No, no, I just saw that it came out. I definitely didn't watch it. Oh, I watched it. I watched it because I'm an American, and I had to know uh, what was going on there, and the emotions that Informed. it evoked emotions. It wasn't. <laughs> it was a rough experience. It was. It was intimidating. Uh, more so. Than <laughs> it was. Well, what uh, is, it? is it a tape from when he's younger, or is it a tape? No. Like... I don't know what happened here. I think that he has to have been outed somebody has to have leaked that because there's no way um i just like to think he would have come off in a more pleasant demeanor if he knew that it was going to end up on the internet it was not a good representation of his work no no i think if he could try again it wouldn't look anywhere near the same (laughs) (laughs) if he could have a second no i just happened to see you guys at chase um you'd commented on that and it just made me laugh yeah um I, i it's 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 a strange thing you know when Somebody that you uh, you grew up watching is now on your screen uh, beating off in front of you. It's it's rough. It's they say don't meet your heroes. Also, don't watch them masturbate. Don't do that. That's either. a good rule of thumb. Yeah, I ran into uh, Randy Spears one time walking out of a uh, apartment building in L.A. and it was just one of those weird don't make eye contact moments. Yeah, it's it's always like that. You know, we we spoke a little bit about how I went to uh, see. Christina Pazinski over the weekend, and there was two reasons I didn't talk to her. One is because I I go to sleep pretty early, and um, you know just being out in the city at eleven o'clock at night and it's freezing out, and I'm doing whatever I can to quickly get back to the train. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is I just didn't want to mob her. You know what I mean? I, I couldn't imagine what it's like to have people. You know, you're trying to get. Especially, I, I think she was getting ready for a second show. So yeah. that would, you know, uh, inconvenient for her. And, you know, who the hell knows how I would have even figured that out. But it's just one of those things where I have heard so many horror stories. I'm super aware of not uh, not bum-rushing my heroes and, and freaking them out. Yeah, um, no, nah, she would be very fantastic about meeting you. She would not be uh, she'd very down-to-earth, so it wouldn't have been anything like that. Right, right. I, you know what? I, I noticed that there's a, a spawn mask on your wall. What's, what's the deal with that? I love. Oh, my friend Kyle puts things up in my studio space, and there's that, and you'll notice the Alf calendar. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow, <laughs> wow. Throwing it back. Yep. Yep. Now there's uh, six people I think in our studio, and four of us are cartoonists and stuff. So there's a lot of little, weird, strange little nerd things around. Oh, that's fun though. I, I love that kind of stuff. You know, I was, I'm such a big fan of Spawn that I'm one of the few people you'll meet that I'll stand by the 1990s spawn. Uh, I'll stand by that. I love that movie. 
I haven't seen it since it came so, out in the theaters. What's that? Uh, I haven't seen it since it came out in the theaters, but um, my friend Kyle's a huge, huge um, Todd McFarlane fan, so. Yeah, I remember when I was younger, um, seeing those Todd McFarlane action figures was like mm -hmm. the detail that they put into those things was it, yeah. it, it far exceeded the quality of, of action figure you were going to get from anything else. No, it's awesome. I still somewhere have one of the the Max figures too. All that Sam. Oh, stuff. those things are awesome. Yeah, no, they're pretty great. Um, I, I don't know what all I had. I had the, the Wetworks ones. I had definitely Wildcats, uh, and I definitely had a buttload of Spawn stuff. You know, I I take my son around, and I'm trying to go Christmas shopping, and I'm trying to pick up, uh, you know, whatever action figures I can. I feel like number one, the price has gone up and the quality has gone down, you know, from the average thing that you're going to see on like a Walmart shelf, for example, mm -hmm. you know, if you do online shopping, you're going to find something pretty cool, but it's like the articulation. It's only the, the one joint. So they have the stiff arm that mm -hmm. does that. And, um, when I was younger, I felt like every toy that I got a hold of had an articulating ankle, articulating wrist. They had fingers that would move individually. Mm -hmm. You know, I had, uh, every version of spider-man that you could imagine in every costume and all of them were fully posable and and you know i just feel like the availability of these things and the price has gone up you know there's these really cool series of action figures the marvel legends i haven't seen those i think pretty, uh... marvel legends they're pretty pretty good as far as detail and and uh and articulation goes but those things are like close to 30 a pop on, on a Walmart shelf, I'm like, eh, you know, I'm all right. Yeah. No, I had uh, saw a bunch of, I, I love Muppet stuff. And uh, I had seen they've got some really, really cool Muppet toys out right now. But they're all like 15 to 25 bucks for uh, like a Swedish chef or something. Yeah. And as a grown-ass man, I can afford it. But it's hard to be like, yeah, I need to go buy $50 worth of toys. Right. I actually, right underneath my, my setup, because uh, like I was explaining to you, before I, I seem to have an internet issue, so I'm using the data off my phone uh, instead of my house. But there's a chest that I'm looking at, and that chest is filled with those pop vinyl characters. Mm -hmm. That you know, to me, it's like they. Oh, I've got a, a few over here. You know, little Red Ranger and yeah. But it, it seems like those things took off like wildfire, and it's like one of those uh, ideas of the less is more. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was like this really simple concept. There's no articulation. Uh, some of them are bobbleheads. Most of them aren't. And they're probably one of the most collectible things that's happening right now. Oh, really? There's a really great, I can't remember what it's called. If it's called like King Robot or I can't remember the name of the store. There's a place in Chinatown in downtown, uh, downtown LA that has all of like the anime ones. They're really cool. And they look a lot like that. Yeah, uh, they're... I've seen a lot of other people try to do something similar, but this pop vinyl, like that brand, that thing is Funko, <clears throat> pop vinyl. So those things have taken off like wildfire, and uh, and I've got a bunch. Of, it doesn't seem to have any restriction either. It doesn't matter whether it's a show or uh, or a, you know a video game or something from graphic novels. It, they all exist. There's. I wish I could get the count. If I didn't have, if I had access to my phone, I bet you the number of platform, not platforms, but uh references pop culture references that these toys have hit it would blow your mind there's a pulp fiction set 
Oh, there's there's got to be a Pulp Fiction set. Yeah, no, I've seen them. I, as soon as you said that, I remembered that. Oh yeah, there, there's gonna be cool looking. There's definitely nothing that. Uh, but you you um you mentioned earlier that you know you share a studio with a bunch of other artists and you uh are formerly a stand up comedian, mm-hmm. and you now uh are I imagine full time artist. Uh, I actually still have a day job. I uh, work for a web development company in Los Angeles. Um, I'm pretty fortunate in that regards. Uh, but uh, I do my comics nights and weekends. It's a pretty, uh, pretty time consuming little uh, labor of love. I, I can imagine you have an app out uh, right now. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, it's called Hollow Leg Comics. And the reason it's called that is because when I was a kid, I was a little fat kid. And uh, my grandfather used to always say that uh, I ate so much, it was like I had a hollow leg. And so <laughs> I, uh, he said a lot of other things too. But um, so essentially I wanted to, I worked on some things for a company called Thrill Bent that, uh, are you familiar with Mark Wade? I'm not. Okay, he uh, wrote Daredevil and Spider-Man and a whole bunch of really great stuff. Okay. He had a uh, interactive comic book company called Thrill Bent, and they were the first kind of company to start doing uh, interactive comics where you can uh, take advantage of it being a screen as opposed to it being a piece of paper. Like, you know, uh, I don't know, are you familiar with the Comixology app and stuff? What was that? The Comixology app? No. It's a it's a way to buy digital comics, and it's largely just buying oh, digital okay, comics yeah, yeah, yeah. that are analog. You know, it's a recreation of the analog. Uh, but since this isn't a piece of paper, you can do all sorts of different things with it, with layers and with the way things pop over the top of things. I have scratcher strips where you can scratch off the uh, uh, punch lines and things like that. And I found that um, it was just a lot of fun to be able to like I bring these around to people. Everybody wanted to touch them, and so I just found that it was a lot of fun to. Um, get people involved with it in a more tactile manner uh, and be able to uh, take advantage in that regards of it being screens versus paper. Okay. And you, um, yeah, it seems like such a, such a, a simple concept that, you know, not a lot of people are taking advantage of. Like it's cool to have access to apps that give you comic books in analog form. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. I mean, as far as space and, and, and things like that, it's, and also you're not really carrying comics around with you if you're, yeah. you know. Yeah, my work. iPad has 800 comics on it right now. It's, it's fucking great. So there you go. all in one little thing that I can also write and draw on and That's make movies beautiful. and talk to you. So it's a really crazy, a crazy experience being able to have that sort of stuff. If you told me that I could fit a whole studio in a 13 inch thing and a fake pencil, whenever I was 10 years old, my head would have just popped, you know? So there's really, really amazing things you can do with the tablets for stuff like that. Um, and um, I just, I mean, I don't know, at one point in time when I was developing some app stuff, I was like, the reason I kind of love this is because everything that I like doing, I can just do with this. You know, you can right. make movies with it, you can uh, make comics, you can write stories, um, surf the web, anything. And it's just, uh, um, I found that I really liked telling stories that would be able to take advantage of that. Right, right. Yeah, it's um, it's crazy, like you said, if you had told you this how many years ago, but I don't think there was any way to quantify, to really grasp the elimination of, of other materials, meaning like the efficiency of space. Mm-hmm. It's just everything is eliminated. There's no need for, I still occasionally will buy a graphic novel just if it's one that I really like to have. It's been a while though. I didn't, I think I bought, um, one of the Spider-Verse graphic novels, but that was a couple of years ago. And it's just something about having the physical mm-hmm. novel, but it's, it is a novelty. That's really 
exactly all it is at this point. It doesn't really serve a function. I mean, to have it all in the iPad, it's like you're eliminating your entire, and it's kind of a brokenhearted thing. You know what I mean? Because yeah. to have those physical copies and to touch them, and there's, there is something about going to the, the comic book store and buying several comics and leaving with that brown paper bag full of comics, and, and you've got them all. You know what I mean? And there's little ads in the front and the back. And But really, besides the, the nostalgia of it, there's no reason to really do it anymore. Not for floppies, but there's a lot of really cool stuff that, uh, like, you just like to have the artifact. I mean, I just bought uh, this girl named Lisa Hannah Walt, who she's the art director on Bojack Horseman. And okay. She did a really, what's supposed to be a really cool Western book. And I know that it's going to be really cool designs from Fantagraphics, I believe. And so their stuff is really, really high-end design. Uh, and it's cool just to have the artifact and have it sitting there um, as and have the physical. I mean, it's just a different experience. Um, but I definitely, there's a guy named Jim Rugg who does some really great stuff called Street Angel. And I'm a big fan of his, and he's a really, really great designer. And having the physical object with him, uh, I find to be a really cool thing, too. It's not something that I would probably buy digitally. When you first started designing comics on a, on a pad with, you know, the, the fake pencil and everything, how much of a struggle was it as far as the feel of things go? Because I used to be able, I haven't drawn in, in, in quite a long time, but um, I used to be pretty good. And... That's never, I've never put in the time. It's never translated for me on any other medium. And I wonder, I mean, I, it's obvious if you look at your work that it's translated, but was it, how quick was that transition? Because for me, it never caught on. Well, um, I initially started with uh, Stylus stuff when they were, um, I mean, God, I'm trying to even remember which program I was using. Uh, I just would wanted to get out of the house. And so I had one of probably a second generation iPad uh, and I would go out to my friend's restaurant and hang out and sit and draw and just do all my pencil work on it. Um, and then I could take that home and I could print it out in blue line and ink over the top of it and stuff like that. So I had a pretty early transition to digital. Um, and then later on I got a giant, I mean, I've got a 20 inch HD tablet sitting here that goes directly into uh, my PC uh, and I'll do finished work on that. Um, my iPad, I will take and do, I can get it about 90% there. But um, I found that um, it's a lot easier to pull everything together on a desktop just because of the extra space and things. But um, at this point, I just kind of think that way. So the transition um, pretty much went pretty smoothly. Uh, I also, I mean, I'm three quarters blind here. So being able to pinch and zoom is uh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. Work That's on stuff like that. Still catch myself on my sketchbooks like i'll try to hit apple z to undo or else i'll try to pinch and zoom try to get in on it and stuff but um i don't know i like i said the thought process at this point is largely um for how i'm going to do it digitally and put it back together so i don't know that i could would go back to paper do you still i mean do you find yourself kind of just doodling when you have the the oh yeah in yeah, front yeah. of you I, mean, there's, I definitely doodle in my sketchbooks Right. But as far as doing finished work goes, um, I don't know that I could go back as far as that goes. Um, I really do enjoy everything digital. It's kind of, but it, there's also a disadvantage to that too. Um, I have friends who recently went back from digital directly to uh, analog because then you have pages to sell. Right. So right. Whenever you go to Comic Cons and set up, you can sell a page for two hundred dollars. Uh, I'll never have that advantage in this particular case. It's amazing the things that you know right now exist as an everyday uh interaction or convenience and that you wouldn't guess we're going to be outsourced to some bizarre form like if you said to somebody 30 years ago that 
uh, sooner or later, you're going to be drawing on on a glass rectangle that yeah. was impossibly thin, and that you were going to have this level of control over detail uh, of your art that you would never have, you know, when it comes to like zooming in and, and really working on the finer details of your product. Uh, and it makes you kind of wonder, like, what is the what thing in, in 10, 20 years is going to be outsourced to some form when you look back at how we used to do it it's so archaic you're gonna laugh at it you know like i mean just in 10 years when people look at you know the ability to zoom in the ability to 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 fine-tune your work and it's such the norm that really nobody can even remember a time where you were drawing on drawing a professional product in a physical form on some sort of paper or something that's that's going to be like a distant memory I don't think it's ever going to go away because, again, people will collect original art and things like that. But I do think that, like, uh, there's a graffiti artist in town named Scribe, and he's amazing, a super amazing artist. Um, and he will be at my friend's restaurant sometimes with his kids, and his kids will be running around um, drawing on their iPads and stuff like that. And it's like my – even though I have a certain mindset and I feel like I'm pretty progressive in regards to that um, – my stuff started at paper, so I can't imagine what the fuck those kids are going to make when their starting point is my finish point. Like the yeah, absolutely, the, the creativity it's gonna be, is going to be insane. Well, you look at these these virtual reality things that you know, even when Oculus uh, first started to become part of like the average person's vernacular, that's when you would see these videos of people in a three dimensional room creating. You know, it was line work but it mm -hmm. had depth to it, you know, it had that extra dimension to it. And, uh, and once they really polish that up, I mean, that's going to be incredible. And so you take yeah. that and you, you think about people with Minecraft and their ability to, to create uh, these impossibly huge, um, uh, you know, creations in, in Minecraft. And those things kind of work parallel where eventually you're going to be in this three-dimensional world creating like monolithic structures you know as as art in the oculus or, or whatever it is that's going to be coming down the pipe well yeah it's crazy and the crazy stuff with the uh, 3d animation and being able to model i mean i don't think that they even film car uh, car commercials anymore like uh, i think a lot of that stuff is composited from uh, models and so like you'll see them just render it directly into a background of some sort where they've had taken a cad model uh, of the car and having it zipping around and stuff so um i i mean it's just crazy the starting points that you have as far as uh, the next level of creativity. Right. And that kind of makes you go, you know, when you see, um, I was a little bit hesitant when my son uh, first got his tablet and he was watching a lot of YouTube and everything. And there's this knee jerk reaction to pull them out of that because that's not how you were raised. But at the same time, you know, it may be sad to your inner child, but that's, they're only going to excel at their world. Right. Because, you know what I mean? It's, it's going to be to, to pull a kid away from that. I, I guess it's, there's, there's lines. Um, you don't want it to be fully absorbed, but so much of that is going to put them at a severe advantage in comparison to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no, completely. And you don't want to put them at a disadvantage to other people. It's like, I remember when my little brother needed a, uh, <clears throat> he needed a or he needed a laptop for school uh, when he was in college, I think it was. And you know, my dad doesn't do anything with computers, and so you know, he was like, found him a five-year-old laptop that was sitting around. I was like, no, that's going to be so slow. Well, what does he need it for? I was like, we need it so he doesn't fall behind everyone else, right? You know, and so um, 
I don't know. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see, like you said, what happens whenever, like what your son is going to make. Right. Yeah. I, you know, right now, the, the, how do I say this? The way that I mitigate this whole situation is if he's, he's only three years old right now. And I go, if he's going to be completely immersed in some Fortnite-esque type of a deal in five years, then I can at least start him where I started. So like, you know, I, I think probably right now he's upstairs playing uh, Mega Man X. You oh, know, cool. Super Nintendo. Yeah. And I think it's, I didn't put too much thought in it, but I just said like, as far as developing motor skills and reaction time, like those games didn't hold your hand. Uh, there was no excessive tutorial to teach you how to use everything. And even if there was, it's not like he could really grasp it at this point. But the only thing I thought is like, if you're going three-dimensional, you're starting 2D. Like you're starting at, and so they recently released a legacy edition of Mega Man X. And so he's playing one through four right now. Mega Man X one through four. And, Super cool. Oh, I love it, man. There's something about, I was, I was when I was uh, coming up, I was raised by women. Uh, my dad wasn't around and I, it just so happened that my mom played video games. My, my grandmother and my great grandmother all played video games. And my, oh man, it was, my house was something else, man. My great grandmother would be playing Super Mario and she didn't quite grasp what the CPU, like what the computer program was, but she, and because of that, she insisted that it was pitted against her in a way that it was constantly cheating. So every time she would fall into a ditch, you'd hear her from upstairs, you son of a bitch, you cheating motherfucker, god damn it! <laughs> and this is my great-grandmother, you know, at that age, she was probably in her 70s and uh, and just cursing and, and flipping out at this thing. But that's how I was raised. And, um, you know, so I think that's, it, it was definitely unique to be in a house full of women who were all playing video games. And now to watch him play the very same games that, you know, I played with my grandmother, it's a bizarre experience. Oh, I bet. But that's pretty cool. And it's really great that, I, I don't know, um, it seems like the stuff is just so intuitive, especially if you've seen any of the like bigger stuff that him going back to play something like Mega Man would have to just be super easy to catch on. Yeah, I think to an extent, you know, it's he initially there was a lot of hesitation with the controller. He wanted to try to touch the TV touch screen. screen. Everything is yeah, everything is touch screen. But um, you know, I have the Xbox One and that controller's huge. His hands are so small. There's so many buttons. I said there's gotta be a way to so he is playing on the Xbox One, but what I did to to give him even more of a starting point was I downloaded a Game Boy Advance emulator on his tablet. And then from there, you can get Donkey Kong Country, you can get Super Mario Bros, Super Mario World, uh, all the Kirby games, you know, all that. So, and that's all touchscreen. So that was, that was uh, more of a starting point for him. And then now he's gotten to the point. But I had somebody in my house the other day who was doing uh, SPAC or uh, sheetrock work. And he comes the second day and he goes, how old is he? I mean, he's three years old. And he goes, I have a three-year-old at home. And after watching your son play this game, I went home and turned on my PlayStation and tried to have my three-year-old play. And there was just, he couldn't do anything with it. And <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to feel about it because it's like, I mean, I, the, I tell myself it's a good thing because 
what I notice most about it is the reaction time. You know, the bad guy's coming at you. It doesn't matter whether or not you accept it. And you've got to get the signal from your brain that says jump to your finger, which is controlling the A button. And you've got to be able to do that before he runs into you. He's gotten so much better at that. I mean, now he's jumping over them when a couple of months ago, you know, everything was running straight into his face and he was standing there frozen in fear. (laughs) So there's got to be something, right, as far as motor skills, reaction time, problem solving. Well, and then also he's not going to be afraid of applying that to other things when he gets older, as far as that aren't video games. Right, right. That's so that's that's the um, my reasoning. You know, we do ABCs and we count with them and everything and we try to teach them how to spell. um, And those things are all going to come inevitably. But I think I can't say that one's more valuable than the other. Uh, And certainly in education, in mathematics and, and vocabulary and English isn't more valuable than playing video games. But the idea that that this uh, from, I don't know, maybe turn the clock back 20 years ago, that there's no value like there absolutely is. So mm-hmm. to watch a three year old suddenly develop the motor skills and the reaction time to solve problems live is there's there's absolutely value to that. Um, do you listen to uh, Seth Godin at all? I don't. Who's Seth Godin? Seth Godin's a marketing guy. He's fantastic. He wrote a book called The Purple Cow. Um, he's kind of on par with uh, Gary Vee uh, oh. sort of stuff. Um, but he has an alt MBA program that is just like buck school. Like schools, you have to figure out what schools are for. And there's no need anymore to memorize things. Uh, but what you do need to know how to do is solve problems. And right. so um, it's kind of similar to what you're talking about there. Uh, he has a really great podcast called Akimbo, and um, it's I would highly recommend that if you're into any sort of marketing yourself. What was it called? Akimbo? Akimbo. A-K-I-M-B-O. Okay. But um, he, like I said, he has an alt-MBA program that is like completely different than what you would get in, as far as school goes, as far as mentoring and uh, learning how to actually do things in the real world versus uh, being little snowflakes. Right, right. There's it's it's such a strange thing because the idea that universities and and that public school exists in the same way that it pretty much has for however long, when all the information you could ever the the entire knowledgeable d- database of the human being is it all exists on the internet. Anything yeah, you could you ever get- know, and it's for free for for the most part. And if it's not. There's probably a workaround that. So, yeah, when I was a kid, my grandparents had that. Do you uh, call the World Book uh, encyclopedias? <laughs> I have. There's a couple of them on the shelf that we just keep because okay. they're cool looking. Yeah, we had some that um, my granddad got, I think, the year I was born. And it was a whole set, and there's 27 of them. And it goes across an entire bookshelf, you know. Yeah, yeah. And all that stuff is, like, that much of what could be in my phone right now. Not only that, but that stuff does not update. Yeah, it well, they had correct every year. They had an update, and yeah, so you see, is, like, here's the 1978 version, here's the 79, here's the updates from 80, and right. um, that's one way that the people were able to monetize continual, you know, making you buy another thing every year. Right, and now we're in this position where the internet, uh, because the internet is just people, it's constantly updating itself because we're constantly correcting this person or that person, and and you know the new data is always rising to the top and. It doesn't cost you anything but the monthly, you know, uh, uh, internet bill. Yeah. And I mean, I know somebody, she was going to go to film school and um, she just realized that I can't remember 
COVID university was, if it was Harvard, it wasn't Harvard, but it was a very well-known university. They just had their entire film department online. So if you wanted to actually go learn how to be a filmmaker, uh, you could go on there and deal with that. I think MIT has a big chunk of their stuff online. Um, there's all sorts of resources as far as uh, learning how to uh, do whatever it is you want to do. Um, there's tons and tons of drawing places. Um, I know that a friend of mine had a list of a hundred different books you wanted to you, a hundred different books to be an artist, and it would be things like George Bridgman's draft uh, figure drawing. It would be I've got a set of things called the Famous Artist Courses, and it was a uh, which is a fantastic resource. It's something that's similar to uh, the World Book Encyclopedias. They're literally the size of my chest, um, <clears throat> and there's three of them. They're that thick, and it was uh, Norman Rockwell and Albert Dorn, and these most famous uh, illustrators of the 1950s put together this book called um, the famous artist courses and it was a correspondence course so it was like the internet before the internet you know you would go and do the uh, assignments and instead of emailing it in you would um, send it to them they would critique it and send it back to you and it was all like step by step how to be a 1950s illustrator um, wow. and so you can find those around online i think they started the courses again um, there's just so many things that if you want to be good at something you can do that you don't need school for and not to mention the amount of debt that the average teenager goes oh, into. It, it, it doesn't make, I can't, <clears throat> I mean, how much longer is that going to go on? I really can't imagine it's, it's very, it's going to go on for much longer. Well, I sound like a cranky old man when I start talking about it, but I got out of, uh, I got out of school uh, with scholarships and out of like zero st uh, student debt. So I was lucky with that, but uh, I had gotten um, a scholarship to Florida state university for, uh, grad school, and I looked at it and was like, I got to go into debt twenty three thousand dollars a semester, you know, to um, go try to go to film school. That's just I can't come out of you know one hundred twenty five thousand dollars in debt. Uh, people like these kids uh, that come to the art institute here, I think it's somewhere they may come out of school close to two hundred thousand dollars in debt with one hundred fifty for uh, art school, and you know you're going to make thirty three thousand dollars a year being an entry level graphic designer. I don't know how like. I can't count how many bartenders and how many servers I know that don't take jobs in their field because right. they make money being a server, um, you know, high-end restaurants and stuff like that because of their student debt. And it's just crazy. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and, it, and it's also a strange system because kids are typically pressured to go into that system. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's logically when you, you know, the knee-jerk reaction is, well, you got to do it so that you can get a good job, so that you can sustain yourself for a living. But if you sit down and have an honest conversation about that, like you just said, how many bartenders and servers are are working and they've got whatever degree that they have and X amount of uh, student debt. And that so that's not true. It's not true that that's what you need to do so that you can sustain yourself for a living. Because I've heard so many horror stories about people not being able to get jobs in a field mm -hmm. that they just went into massive lifelong debt for debt that you can't even uh declare bankruptcy on yeah one of my best friends in college he has uh, he's got two minor degrees in philosophy he's got a, I think at least one maybe two minors in philosophy and he's all but dissertation in his um for his PhD and he got all the way to the dissertation and decided he didn't want to teach and didn't want anything to do with it so he just quit and he's an aircraft mechanic now and so four philosophy degrees and he decided to go to a trade school and learn a trade and makes a good living at it. Uh, but there's a whole situation now where um, 
there's a lack of people who have gone to trades because of the college stuff. And so uh, trades people are at a shortage. Like if you need to get iron workers and things like that, um, those people are at a premium now because they have those are real skills that people decided to go to college and, you know, get degrees that they're not using instead. And it's a, a big problem in the world. Right. I, I'm actually a, a welder, so okay. I'm familiar with the kind of the shortage of welders. They're in high demand right now. But it's interesting because I was just talking to my wife the other night and we're going off about how the very similar to what you and I are talking about. And I kind of made a little joke that it's it's silly, but it, there's a lot of truth in it where it's like you would never pay that much money uh, that's comparable to you know, uh, a university education before testing out the final product. Like if you were going to buy a car, you would never just go in there and throw the money on the counter and go, no, I just, I'll just drive the car. This doesn't mean they're like, you want to test drive it? No, I don't want to test drive. I just want the car. And here right. it is. And then you get in the car and you realize this car sucks. You don't like it. It's got whatever issues that it's got. You don't like the layout. And so now you're screwed and you're stuck with the car. And to me, it's like, maybe you should before you you pay your tuition or before you take on the debt, you should spend months, maybe, maybe even months shadowing somebody in being, that occupation. Right. Um, and seeing the, the everyday ins and out of it to see whether or not you even want to do this. Yeah, apprenticeship. Yeah, exactly. You should do an apprenticeship. Yeah. And, it's um, a requirement. Yeah, well, and then you just learn so much more. Not only that, but you learn how the world actually works in that case, as opposed to uh, uh, being in a sheltered little world for four years. Yeah, well, there's a lot of that weird shit going on right now where, where you know, people are going and getting degrees and gender studies and all that crazy crap and coming out. You're not Number one, you're not going to get a job in your field, but number two, you just existed in a bizarre bubble, uh, some sort of strange echo chamber where you're going to get out into the real world and people are going to look you dead in the face and tell you, I don't give a fuck about any of that. All that weird shit that you're telling me about how, you know, Halloween is offensive or, or, or what, whatever the deal is. I mean, geez, man, it's, <sighs> I, I get it to an extent, you know, there's some things that maybe are, uh, things that make sure the continuation of a, of a stereotype of a certain group of people remains that way but also to you know this kind of idea of cultural appropriation it's like america is the land of cultural exchange and we've gotten to this point now where doing anything that another culture claims is their own is is seen as you know racist or cultural appropriation but we've had you know the when i was growing up the idea was like open exchange that's what we want we want to share in everybody's everything and appreciate every culture's everything and you know all this stuff. But now somehow the, the script has gotten flipped and it's like to to do that is immediately demonized and you're you're called some ist, whatever the ist word is, you know, and, and that's pretty much and it's hard to scrape off that label as well. Well, one of the things that I did with the app and the comic stuff is I've always I've been lucky enough to live in a lot of in several places that have like wide ranges of cultures. And one of the things that's you'll notice in that is a lot of the comics and stuff are food based. And um, that's just always been such a fun thing for me is to be able to have the exchange of culture through what you eat. Right. You know, there's just certain things that um, just, it's awesome to be able to go and see what everyone else is doing with different things, you know, and it's the same stuff in a lot of cases. Right. Well, you know, that's the thing, right? Is if you, you can't, 
cry cultural appropriation and then go and enjoy a delicious burrito. Like you got to put the burrito down, bitch. You can't have it both ways. You, know, you can't <laughs> have delicious. delicious food. And also you got to step away from the Chinese joint, man. You can't stand on the corner shouting people are racist and then go and eat the Chinese joint. It's not like you got to, you got to cut it clean. I do enjoy Chinese food and oh. burritos. Where, 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 where are you in the, in the country? I'm in Kansas You're, city, Kansas city. I don't know about Kansas City, but it's my understanding that New Jersey has some of the best Chinese food places, and I part of me doesn't want to leave just because of that. China, Chinese food is the one thing I can get tired of pizza. I've gone through a period in my life where I had pizza like every weekend, and I just stopped eating it for a while. Chinese food, it'll never yeah. stop. It'll I never. At a point st- in time, where all I ate was pizza, and I got up to about two sixty. Woo! There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, there's a oddly enough. Um, Cashew chicken was created in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because it's not, it's breaded for the rednecks. And yeah. so, you know, it's the it guy had to. Onto something. Yeah, and it was delicious. But oh, it's, uh, there's a great documentary called, uh, God, it's General Choice Chicken, I think. And I it saw has some that. stuff about that. Uh, but yeah, Springfield, Missouri is the home of cashew chicken. Yeah, that General Sow's or General So's chicken. Yeah. Like the big debate is number one, how the hell is it even pronounced? And number two, how it was created in America. Yep. I believe yep, it was yep. created. Our idea of Chinese food is is not at all what Chinese food actually is, but it's delicious. We've created something here in the States that I, I couldn't imagine. That's, you know, if, if me and the wife are going to go off the rails and the question is, what do you eat? Uh, it's hard to knock Chinese food out of the number one spot. It yeah, really no. Yeah. I haven't had really, really, really good Asian food since I moved back. Uh, Thai food I miss a lot. Um, we do have some pretty good Vietnamese food. Um, okay. I don't know if you're into pho. And, uh, but I don't think I've had really good Chinese since I moved back. You, um, you spent some time in L.A.? You lived there? Yeah, I was there for 11 years. Oh, wow, 11 years, so some time. Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit of time. So, uh, Is, and Who really went after the stand-up com- uh, comedy? Uh, I went out there because I wanted to write, and stand-up ended up being a byproduct of that. And um, it's weird because I grew up as a super, 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 super shy kid. Like, I just could not talk in front of class or do anything like that. And somebody uh, recommended that I take an improv class. So I took improv at the Groundlings, which I don't know if you're familiar with the Groundlings. But yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, uh, great theater. And so at one point in time, um, the classes started getting expensive, and then I realized that I could do stand-up for free. And so I started doing open mics and things like that. And I probably did somewhere between 150 and 200 shows a year for probably nine years. Wow. So it was a good chunk of time. I got to meet a good chunk of people. I mean, two, two of my favorite people you got to see uh, perform in New York, Joe Bartnick and uh, yeah. Christina. So I've made some, probably some of my best friends that I've ever made in my life. I made because of that. And uh, it's one of those things that, um, I probably could not have some of the conversations I have with people now had I not done that particular thing. Um, and it was a, it was a great experience. What made you get away from it? Um, LA is really expensive. Yo, oh my God. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I was getting burnt out. It is really expensive. Uh, my family's back here getting a little bit older and things. And I had started writing and drawing comics again. And, um, I just felt like I could work on the comics here where it costs a nickel to live and um, just continue that. So I don't know. I typically try to make things that are funny. And so it feels like like with the app and the comics and stuff, that's just my act or my podcast or whatever. Right. Like that's yeah, the thing that I can do to create it's something. It's an outlet funny. for the creativity and for the humor. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things with the interactive portion, things that I really find um, are super awesome for uh, being able to reveal punchlines and stuff like that. Because, what you know, is, you look at what's Chuck Wagon at the end of the world? Can you, because oh, I looked into it, but I want you to explain it. Okay. It is uh, basically it's the killer unicorns of the apocalypse. And it's a guy <laughs> who chases them around in a souped up food truck making uh, unicorn beef sandwiches. And it ended up being about 150 pages long. Um, and I thought it was going to be about 15, all because I wanted to use the phrase unicorn beef. <laughs> and so it's got the uh, unicorns lick salt to get high, but it also right. powers their spaceship so they can't drive away. So they're always partying. They're like just intergalactic douchebags. And it was like, I thought it'd be funny because like, I don't know if it's Jersey Shore or what I was watching. I was like, just because they're pretty doesn't mean they're not assholes. Right, right. And so the whole thing is uh, the last group of people on Earth um, trying to survive living in a salt mine when the uh, unicorns are trying to actually come get the salt. And the idea was that the unicorns were real at one point. Uh, but oh, yeah, they came back. Yeah, and that we killed off the remaining unicorns until... Yeah, yeah they're all pissed off and because we did. We, yeah, yeah, we didn't kill them off. We just let them die off. And we were supposed to be their servants. Oh, so they were the higher species. Yes, exactly. Of course, they got yeah. spaceships. They can go away. Right, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so... What yeah. were they... What were they... I mean, when you commit to an idea to, to start, do you put a lot of thought into it, or you just kind of go to the... <laughs> until it gets I don't know, in? I just did a 150-page comic about unicorns. Right, <laughs> I mean, that's what's um, amazing. Did you... I mean, you set out to do 15 pages, right? So yeah, it, as you're cranking this out... You, it starts to really get fleshed out, the world and the, the idea of who they are and everything. And the next thing you know, you're 150 pages deep in unicorns yeah. coming back and killing humans. Well, I thought that it would be, at one point in time, the script was about 40 pages. And right. 40 pages is, it was in television script form. And so once I started breaking those down, that's about four pages per page of script. And so it just started growing and growing and growing. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm never going to finish this fucking thing. But um, it definitely... Uh, ended up being a lot of work for uh, something that was, like I said, I just wanted to say unicorn beef sandwiches out loud. Right, it's the, it's the silliest thing sometimes that just snowballs into this. I mean, what's what's really cool about this, I, I think um, I was talking to somebody recently that was probably either Chase or someone like that, where uh, I mentioned how there are no, the gatekeepers don't really exist anymore. Yeah. And the creative ability is is granted to the everyday person and if you have an idea um outside of a few things like an ipad for example and the internet you know that's it that's 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 all you need to get your idea out there in some form and now the idea is like all it takes is one person to read that and think that it's awesome and come knocking on your door and it, it really is we exist in this time where the gatekeepers are gone they don't exist yeah no that's 100% the reason that I ended up making the app was I got frustrated with trying to pitch things to people. And so um, I was supposed to have it on something, another platform, and it didn't work out, which is fine. Uh, but at some point, I started talking to my sister's boyfriend, who does uh, development for a trucking company, of all things. And I was like, hey, do you think we can port this out into an app? And so um, it's been really, really liberating to finally get it done and realize that now um, I don't need editors. I don't need someone else's input. I don't need to, um, not that editors are worthless, mind you, uh, right. but I, uh, 
don't need a printing press. I don't need anything. I just have it right here. And so I can do whatever the fuck I want now. Uh, and that's a very liberating feeling to be able to do that. I, you know, even if I want to do a podcast to have more content on it, um, I can still hook that up through the app. I can make comics about anything. You know, I've been making short unicorn. I call it unicorn fat because one of the old uh, uh, mad cartoonists said the call it chicken fat. And it was all the little things. And so I can make short, you know, made some holiday stuff. The things that I've been putting on Instagram uh, also go in the tablet and I can just do anything. And um, we're at a point in time where, like you said, the gatekeepers are gone. If you say you want to make something and say you can't make something, then you're full of shit. Absolutely. Yeah. There's nothing that's really holding you back at this point. If you don't have the equipment, then all you're doing really is just prolonging the amount of time because all you got to do is save up a little bit of money. And the next thing you know, you've got the equipment that you need and creative control is yours. And there's nobody that the, the problem I'd imagine with pitching something that is comedy based is comedy is uh, subjective. Mm-hmm. And so nobody's in your head. Nobody nope. can understand why the thing is funny. Uh, and really all that should matter. I mean, you know, a company has to make its money. And so mm-hmm. obviously that's why the, the gatekeepers existed. It's, 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 it's an old system, but the point is that it's not necessary anymore. And now, as long as you think it's funny, uh, and you enjoy it, you can put it forward. And then what's even better about that is much like your mom's house, the podcast, they have found their fans. Right. You only have to find a, a certain, this, Godin talks about that a lot too, where you find this uh, smallest stream of people who are passionate about what you do. Then there'll be a community which um, will, they'll bring you to everybody that they know. I mean, because they, I mean, look at all the people that are doing Photoshop stuff. Uh, for Oh my God, I house. love yeah, it's crazy to me because, I mean, I was doing that stuff with Christina 15 years ago, and it's just us just hanging out, just doing stupid stuff. And now there's just hundreds of people that are doing these really, really cool things for it. Um, and it's just amazing as far as uh, the way their fans have acted and stuff. And they've acted really funny to me. It's been really, really pretty funny whenever uh, uh, seeing extremes cross with the comic books and then uh, some of the Your Mom's House stuff. Like, I think I got an iTunes review from Will Smith's B-Hole. <laughs> um, which made me laugh so hard because like Steve Jobs made this whole thing and now it's not even like my Instagram page somebody went to like the app store and there's a group like a just say keep it high and tight I think yeah um, my sister's boyfriend was looking at the social media and uh, when it first launched and he's like what the fuck is it people, people doing about jeans I was like oh yep no that's Tom and Christina's fans it's it's amazing I, I there's you know, because of the internet, previously I was I would kind of play whatever my sense of humor was close to the chest because it wasn't the typical. I didn't know how to um, how to guy because I was raised mm-hmm. by women and they were all hilarious women who all you know played video games. They're all out of their minds, and I found that a lot of my humor didn't translate, and that's not the case now. Like I. Uh, am lucky enough to be part of the Comedy Content Collective uh, with Chase and a bunch of other guys, Nathan Baird, and there's about 15 of us in there. And because of our shared interests of podcasts and everything, so much of my humor hits the mark. Mm-hmm. And I've been in positions where, you know, my humor does not <laughs> does not hit the mark. Everybody Everybody has that. Everybody's made a joke and it doesn't land. But it's awesome to not have to um, how do I say this? You don't have you to have a metal language humor. You, you have to, you already have a metal language with each other. Exactly. So exactly. When you say keep it high and tight, like somebody's going to look at me like I'm 
you know, but you guys just laugh because you've got all the background to it. You already know what's going on. Exactly. And, and it, there's this other idea, too, that there's too many podcasts, there's too many uh, Photoshops, there's too many this and that. There's not. There's certainly not, uh, especially when it comes to podcasts, because, you know, I think uh, I listen to a lot of Rogan. Rogan talks about how in the stand up comedy world, there used to be this famine mindset. Um, and, you know, I was too young to have really been paying attention to that sort of thing. But the idea is that everybody was jockeying for a potential sitcom or something mm -hmm. like that. And now that's gone. Now you can have your own show. Now you don't have to have people tell you what America is going to find digestible uh, or palatable. You could just put your sense of humor directly onto your own show. And like you said, you'll find this, this stream of fans that all get it. Yeah. That's all you need. You don't need to, uh, when you try to, you know, it's, it's that, that old idea of you can't please everyone. And when you try to, that's when weird shit starts to happen, you know, and yeah. your becomes crap. Well, there's a great, one of my favorite, I, I love peanuts. And one of my favorite peanuts thing is uh, kind of about having it both ways. And there's uh, Charlie Brown and these two other kids are going to be, uh, they're playing cowboys and Indians and, uh, or just cowboys. I can't remember. And um, one kid said, I'll be the good guy. And the other kid said, I'll be the bad guy. And Charlie Brown says, I'll be something in between. I'll be a hypocrite. <laughs> and so, great. yeah, you can be the good guy. You can be the bad guy, but you know, once you start trying to please everybody, it just, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. People start to, uh, you know, you compromise your own ideas and beliefs and, and, and passions and then people can smell a phony. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things, too, where um, like, I don't know if you've been following what's going on, but Kevin Hart got nailed for an allegedly homophobic tweet from 10 years, some some ridiculous amount of time mm -hmm. ago. And uh, and I if I'm not mistaken, I know I'm, I might be a little bit behind, but he hasn't apologized and I don't think he's going to apologize. And uh, it's because, you know, if it was 10 years ago, who is the same person that they were 10 years ago? Right. Culture was completely different 10 years ago. Uh, and he's not that, you know, he's not a hateful person by any means. So just to apologize, I mean, you could easily issue this like, yeah, I'm sorry I said it and everything, but it's not, it's not necessary. And I think the people that are really his fans know that. Uh, and know that he's not a hateful person. He's not homophobic or anything like that. And once you you say something like that, it's it's a slippery slope because that is aligned with a lot of that kind of hypocritical bullshit. You know what I mean? Where people will, how do I put this? They'll say a thing that they did mean at the time and they thought it was funny. Uh, I mean, it was, I think my point is it was 10 years ago. And like I said, he's not that person anymore. And uh, and there's too much of this trying to please everyone, trying to apologize and pander. And I think we're in a time right now where people appreciate people who are putting their foot down and that aren't just uh, giving into whatever the mob mentality is because there's this kind of outrage culture that we're living in where it's not so much about what you said, it's more about publicly shaming you. And so when Kevin Hart doesn't apologize for whatever homophobic remark, it's not because he dislikes, uh, you know, the gay community. It's because he's not playing the game that the outrage culture wants you to play. And that just, is much more appealing uh, than uh, an apology that is forced. 
Yeah, I don't know. There's been an awful lot of stuff where people are unearthing things from 15 years ago. James Gunn got in a bunch of trouble, and you know, it's like you said, it's you're just not the same person. Right. Right. I, I can. I, there's a lot of that. Everybody has that kind of older family member that comes over during the holidays, and you know, they'll they'll say things at the dinner table where you're just kind of like, ah, geez. But it was, you know, what are you gonna do? It's it's they're 70, 80 years old. Yeah, you're not gonna change that person. You're not going to change that person. And I'm not saying, you know, Kevin Hart is a 78-year-old dude that comes over during the holidays, but there's a lot of holding people to a, a standard that was not the same standard when the thing was said. I mean, the culture, right. has, because of the internet, the culture has changed so dramatically in, in, in 10 years, not even 10 years. I'd say the past five years. Well, the thing is, is now there's shit. a record of it. Right. Right. So, yeah. And it, it's also, I think it's harmful for stand-up in regards to not necessarily people saying offensive things, uh, but it's really hard to work out material if you're in a club and somebody's going to be uh, taking video of you and putting it on YouTube and it's not finished yet. Right, right. So, it is. People tend to forget right now that uh, comedians, their jokes aren't always this reflection of what they truly think. But oftentimes it's just a thing to make people laugh because that's what it is. That's what comedy is. We, you know, they, you want people to laugh at it. And sometimes the way to that laugh is like a shocking, controversial statement. And, and you've got to kind of go with them on this and, and go with this, you know, go on this journey with them to see where this joke ends up. But people don't, uh, people have forgotten that. It's weird because when was comedy ever not a humorous thing? It's meant to make you laugh. It's not, uh, you're not there for a TED talk. Yeah, well, and, you know, sometimes, like I said, it's just not finished yet. You know, you right. got to try new things, and you got to keep working through it. And um, I know that Tom, I was at the comedy store in L.A. a month ago, probably, and there's a story he's been telling about the Wu-Tang Clan for 10 years, 15 years or whatever. And um, he was doing it on stage, and I was like, oh, man, you finally got that joke to work. And he's like, yeah, he's like the most excited. I think he was more excited telling me that worked than it was with the kids. So it's always great yeah. to see comedians with that. So, but, so when somebody says something and they're outraged and things like that, that may just be a joke that's in progress. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's no other real way to work it out besides getting out on stage and doing it, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, it's trial and error from what yeah. I, I ever, you know, I think I mentioned to you seeing Christina and seeing Joe. Um, and I wish I could remember the, the host's name because he was on fire and it was like the full charge. I'm sorry. Was it full charge? I, I don't remember. Um, well, Matt's a smaller guy. Joe is a big, big Italian guy. So Yeah, well, Joe was the big Italian guy, and then there was a, a, a much smaller guy. Yeah, that's Matt Fulcher on Full Charge. He, he was amazing. Yeah, I mean, no, he's great. It was, and it made you realize, you know, as a non-comedian, every once in a while, some stupid idea will sneak into your head. Like, yeah, I can do that. I, could, I made my friends laugh. I can go on stage and, and make other, oh, my God. Yeah, I used to sit around also. Well, one of the ways that I gained a shitload of weight was I used to sit around all Sunday afternoon and uh, at Joe's house. And his wife is an amazing cook, and I would just eat everything. Or else we'd go to Domenico's Pizza and eat all that. And so we would just sit there and just break each other's balls all day long and watch football, and it was fantastic. And there was one night where he just cut my legs out from under me. It was fantastic. We uh, went and did a show at a place called the Downtown Comedy Club, and it was, uh, do you know who Garrett Morris is? No. He was like the original, uh, the first black cast member of Saturday Night Live. Okay. Um, he had a comedy club in downtown L.A. that was fantastic. It was fun. It was a good place to work stuff out. And um, me and Joe went there and did a spot. And we stopped at 
Tui's, I think it was, and got food at, at like 1.30 in the morning. And I told him, I said, man, I think I just gained a lot of weight this year because I was sad. And he said, dude, I didn't see it. No, Lundy, I didn't see you crying in that chili dog. <laughs> it's, it's like just mean, mean things to each other. And it was so much fun. Yeah, I, I think overthinking is one of the things that'll put you that'll keep you from being an effective comedian because sometimes it's the funniest thing off the top of your head that you know that that gut impulse to just say it real quick like I couldn't I did a, a best man speech and I, it's a different flavor because it's very serious or it can be very serious and there was some humor but it was also a, a big deal and I'm in front of all these you know family members and that was incredibly nerve-wracking and to imagine like standing in front of people and deliberately trying to make them laugh with jokes that I've worked on and, and tried to fine tune and, and written. I mean, I couldn't, uh, it's a different thing, man. It really is. People take it for granted. And then of course, probably there's some people that just stand up at an open mic night and just kill it. I'm sure that exists, you know, but got some work. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. Me and Christina used to always laugh whenever somebody said that I'm just gonna go up and wing it. I'm like, okay, we'll watch this. That's got to be, I, I have a, a huge, um, a lot of empathy. And so to watch people at that cringe, it almost hurts me. Like when you watch somebody else embarrass themselves, that yeah. thing in me, that mechanism is, is, it's unbearable. Oh, I've been the one who was embarrassed on many occasions. Um, had some bad spots, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, the thing is with the, like a best man speech though, at least those people want you to succeed. They want right. you to have a good, they want that. And sometimes people at uh, stand-up shows, I mean, somebody thinks that they're going to be funnier than the comedian. They're on a date and they don't like their date, you know, enjoying that. Or, and there's just so many factors as far as that. Or you might say something about kids and it's somebody who has, you know, you just never know who's in the audience or what their day's like either. Right, right. And there's people, you know, one too many drinks and, uh, you know, yep. they want to be a part of the show. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, the last time I did a spot was with Christina. She was here at the Kansas City Improv. And um, I did a guest spot and had a great set. And uh, it was a Saturday night. She said, oh, you want to go up on the light show? I said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I made my impression. It was fantastic. I don't necessarily want to go up whenever it's uh, people have already had their four drinks. How long ago was that? Oh, uh, God, that's been several years ago. Okay. So uh, probably four. Four so, years ago now? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, do you ever get the desire to just to just go back at it? Yeah, I do. I mean, if I was still in LA, I would probably be doing it, but um, I don't particularly want to uh, do the road. So it's one of those things that that's a really, 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 really rough life. Um, I wonder now if if that territory is changing, meaning like if you find your audience online, how necessary is it to do the road that much? Uh, I think to work on your craft, you have to. Right. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, right. you got to get stage time. So, and doing an hour a night, five times a week is the way you get good. Right. So. Uh, and you can't keep going to the same clubs because then you're playing to the same crowd. And then, you know, it's not an accurate representation of whether or not your material's good. Yeah. And if you're in LA, um, you're getting eight to 12 minute spots anyway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They keep them short over there. Yeah. I just, uh, well, you 20 know, minutes. I haven't seen a whole lot of stand up live. Um, I saw Joe Rogan live. I saw, I, you know, I've seen smaller comedians in Atlantic city and, you know, that was a good window into what it looks like when somebody's just not doing well. And mm -hmm. it's, ah, man, that, that's where 
I feel like I'm the only person in the audience who's like writhing in his seat because of what's happening on the stage. You know, I just feel so terrible for people. I couldn't imagine. So it's it's I, I like doing this. This is nice because I there's no pressure to be funny or anything like that. I'm just having interesting conversations with people. Mm -hmm. But uh, to get on stage and to try to be deliberately funny and also to write a joke is like, you know, I challenge anybody who's not uh, a working comedian, sit down and try to write a joke because I have tried to do that. And my brain goes, what the fuck are you talking about? Write a joke. That doesn't yeah, well, that's the thing we do. Well, most people don't know the format of it. You know, there's certain things that make a joke and it's a setup and a punchline. And some people think saying something silly is a joke or something else. And um, there's definitely a format and not necessarily a um, not a uh, formula, but there's a definitely a format for writing as far as that goes. Um, and there's people who are really, 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 really good at it, like uh, David Tell. Oh, man, I've been watching him and, uh, and Jeff Ross on Bumping Mics. I haven't seen that yet. It's so much fun. They seem so relaxed. Uh, that that format gives you, it gives the the dummy who thinks they can go on stage and do it a lot more confidence than the average Netflix special because they they seem so comfortable. They seem like best friends. They're just up there shitting on each other, just like you do with your buddy. And right. that one will really lull you into a false sense of security, making you go like, yeah, I could do that. Oh, man, they have a, an episode with, um, uh, why is his name escaping my mind? Um, the He's an older comedian. He did the voice for the parrot on Aladdin. Oh, Godfrey. Yeah. Um, Godfrey. Gilbert Grodd Godfrey. He is unbelievably hilarious. Oh, Every great. once in a while, they'll pull him out of the crowd, and he'll just stand up and hit you with some bizarre one-liner, and it's the funniest shit in the world. It, people, uh, you know who else I hear is really funny? Uh, Howie Mandel. I hear Howie Mandel kills. Uh, I have not seen him since I was a kid, but I know that he used to do stuff like he'd be doing giant Vegas shows back in like 1985. Uh, he's been around forever, so I'm assuming he's got to be, you know, at this point in time, he's been doing it long enough. If he's still doing it, he's good. I remember I went to go see, uh, my wife got tickets for America's Got Talent. So we were going to be one of the audience members and, you know, one of the acts was a magic act. And... During the commercial break, in the shadows off to the side, there was a scissor lift had gone up and there was a guy that's holding on to the balcony and there's nobody on the balcony. They, they didn't seat that area, you know, and this guy is holding on to the balcony and then the scissor lift drops and he's still left standing there. So he's got one of those contraptions that runs down your sleeve. It goes down your side and there's a platform that you're standing on. And it's hard. It's probably very hard to, to keep yourself hovering like that, but it, it is a trick. So we come back from commercial break and all of a sudden the next act is this music, uh, magician and they're going, where is he? Does anybody know where he is? And the camera cuts and all the spotlights go and the guy is hovering, seemingly hovering above the crowd, but holding on to this, this banister. And, um, and you know, everybody's in shock. Da, 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 da. A lot of people didn't notice it because it was dark when it was happening. And if you were on the opposite side of the venue, you didn't notice. And so there's all these gasps and everything. And then they say what they have to say. They wrap the show up and Howie Mandel stands up and starts like screaming at everybody to get out of the auditorium as quickly as possible. Get out, get out. Because it does take a certain amount of strength and composure to hold yourself there. Even though you are standing on this platform, you know, it's, it's giving you an edge, but it's not 
a long-term thing that you can hold. And so he's going, everybody get out, get out, get out. And I'm the asshole. I don't want to leave my seat because I want to see like what happens. How do they get this guy down? They got to take his jacket off. Uh, they got to you know bring the scissor lift. He's going to get down. His arm's still going to be stiff, whatever the deal is. And, uh, but Howie Mandel, man, you know, nothing against the guy, but once those cameras stopped, he was screaming at people like, everybody go, go, go. And he's throwing his arms in the air and screaming at people. But uh, yeah, he's apparently, you know, he's apparently very good. Very, very yeah. good. I wasn't well, even I aware he still did stand up. Yeah, I didn't know if he was still touring. I assume he just has buckets and buckets of money from uh, America's Got Talent. Right, right. He has that germaphobe thing, too, which I don't, I don't know if I buy it. I mean, I, I, I think it's part of his act now. Apparently, he pulls tissues out to shake people's hands. Yeah, I don't know. That's one thing that if that's legit, I feel su super, super sorry for him. Uh, just because, I mean, I can't imagine living like that. I'm super OCD. Uh, and so I can't imagine having that where you can't even like shake somebody's hand. Right, right. You, um, so one of the things that you do is the chef's tabletop and recipes. Mm -hmm. Do you cook, like, are you very much into the culinary arts yourself? No. Well, I am in the fact that I have a lot of friends who are in the restaurant world. Okay. Uh, but I like to cook uh, and I like putting things together, but I am not by any means whatsoever a chef. Like most of the things that I was putting together for this uh, was I was making apocalyptic recipes, like things that you could make since it's the apocalypse. You're just going to have, um, we're going to be cooking with Spam, um, canned chicken. I found out there's actually powdered butter. Um, there's canned, I've made something with escargot and there's canned snails that you can get. Uh, and those are for feeding reptiles. Um, but so I just decided to put as many things together as I could that um, would actually be able to um, make whenever the world ends. Right. How many recipes do you have in there? Do you know? Right now I just have five, but I have a, sig a significant amount more uh, written. So I'm trying to uh, put together, I guess, uh, I think you saw the Instagram page. So Instagram, I'm trying to put together um, a short form thing once a week. Uh, like it's either a recipe or some sort of joke thing. Like I'll put a Christmas thing up. Uh, and then also I'm putting to get out like one episode of the Chuck Wagon thing a week. Uh, then I'm trying to also put out uh, just whatever ancillary posts I can put out during the week as far as uh, something that has value or whatever. And of course, pictures of my dog. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I just got him about a month ago. So I've turned into a crazy old dog mom. He, uh, he's older. Yeah, he's six. So Rescue? What's that? Uh, well, he followed me home one day. Uh, it was weird. He was at a construction site um, and I kind of walked around the block and he was still there when I got back home. I went to go get something in the corner store and went to go see if he had tags on and this construction worker said uh, something about, you know, how he snapped at people. He just like immediately like laid on his back for me to like, pet him. And so, um, you know, I couldn't figure out who it was and I decided, you know, whatever he's at the construction site. That's that dude's fucking problem. That's not mine. So, uh, I went home and I looked back and he had followed me across the street. So I put him up and went to the uh, neighborhood and just tried to make sure that everybody, you know, tried to find his owner and stuff. Uh, I didn't want to get hit by a car cause I live in a really busy, busy, busy like intersection. Um, and so nobody could figure out who his owner was. I finally found it in Facebook, um, and brought him back the next day. And she said she worked with rescues. And so I was like, is he up for adoption? And he wasn't. But um, so I was like, I did something nice for somebody. Dog didn't get hit by a car, got their dog back. It's Good Friday. And so three days later, I got uh, tagged on a Facebook post as well uh, that he had gotten out again and uh. out in the street. So I had to go drag him back home. Um, and so I went to go bring him to uh, the owner's house again that night. 
And she was like, look, man, this is real weird. I feel real, like super weird asking this because uh, I've had this dog a long time, but he keeps getting out. We can't keep him in the yard. He's had a lot of problems as far as that goes. And he seems to do really well with you. Um, would you still consider adopting this dog? So I went to the store with no wiener dogs and I came back with an extra one. Is that what he is? He's a wiener dog? Yep. yep That's yep. funny, man. That's your dog now. Yeah, he's uh, definitely, I mean, there was a time the other day he kind of snapped at me and because um, I was trying to wash his feet off and I kind of said, no, you don't bite me. And I turned my back and, oh my God, you would have thought I hit him in the face with a golf club. Like he was just so concerned with what I thought. And so <laughs> I told my stepbrother that and he was like, yeah, that's your dog now. If he gives that there much of go. a shit about what you think, that's, he's not a house guest anymore. I wonder how that happens. You got a wiener dog. You just can't keep him in the yard. Are you, do you have a fence? Are you? They had a fence, uh, but he's just a, like they burrow. And so those oh. vehicles, they uh, are big time burrowers. Like they were bred to, uh, like, uh, they were bred to hunt weasels and like pull them that out of holes sense. and stuff. That and so, sense. yeah, he just continually got out. And they were good people. And she was kind enough to ask me if I was interested in that. So I don't think they were by any means uh, bad dog owners or anything like that. Otherwise, they would have kept him until he got hit, you know? Right. So, uh, but he seems to be pretty happy. I work from home. So he gets all the attention. Yeah, you know, those, uh, any dog that is bred for, for, I, I mean, hunting is a strong word, but it's, a, yeah, it's, it's essentially a hunting dog, right? Is it loud? No. Really? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. She said he barked a lot whenever she had him, but for me, he pretty much chills out. So I don't know. I think I wear him out. I run 120 to 150 miles a month. So he gets to get out and go run a little bit with me and gets uh, going around the block. He gets, walks in the morning and the evening and stuff so i think by the time i'm done with him he's too tired to bark there you go because those dogs like uh, jack russell's or beagles or hounds any kind of hound you know a, a lot of them are are uh really vocal because it's they're alerting you they're constantly yeah. alerting you know and uh so i expected that it's people don't get that you know people like a bloodhound because they look cool or like a basset mm -hmm. hound because they and then you got this dog that one the 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 demand for exercise is mm -hmm. So many people get a dog that's demand for exercise is far beyond what they're prepared to provide for it. You mm -hmm. know, I have some neighbors that have a, I'm going to screw this up. It's all, either Australian cattle or Australian sheepdog. I think it's an Australian sheepdog. Uh, they typically have a blue eye and a brown eye and they mm -hmm. have really cool coloration to them. But those dogs are herding dogs. Oh, they need and, to go. Get yeah, they need to go all yeah. the goddamn time. So I'll wake up at four in the morning and I'll, you know, go warm the car up or whatever, get ready for work. And neighbors are out there walking them around the block four in the morning. You know what I mean? Every day they they rotate. So there's a different family member out there throwing the Frisbee and pulling on the rope and everything like those people. It's nice to see that because a lot of people just don't get it. They think that you get a dog and it's there and it's cool to cuddle with and it's, you know, it's cool to play with. But the 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 demand for exercise, people just don't get it, man. Well, and also, you know, I had been reading in regards to that particular speed, like dog is um, they, if the only place they ever uh, interact with people is in their home, they start to get territorial and things like that. And so just having them out and about and socializing, they're so much better for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They need to, it's, 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 uh, you know, they have an energy expenditure and, and if you, if you're not meeting that, then they're going to be, that's when people think they have a problem dog and it's like, no, you're just not giving this animal what it needs. It right. needs to be ran into the dirt. You know what I mean? It's got to go and run the blocks or do the trails or whatever it is. And uh, if you're not doing that, it's going to find a way, an outlet for that. And if that's Ooh. on your sofa barking out the window for 40 minutes at Ooh, a time, yeah. then that's 
he's not a dickhead. He just needs to get worn out. That's it. That's it. People don't get it. And the next thing you know, they're trying to get rid of the dog and everything. It's a lot of people have that. A lot of people just don't realize what goes into I don't have a dog because not because I don't like dogs, but because I'm not prepared to provide that right now. It's just not in the books. Maybe in the future, I'll have something uh, like I like the Australian uh, Australian. Maybe it's an Australian Shepherd. Um, I like that breed. It's uh, visually, it's a very cool breed. Uh, I like the coloration and and I like the you know the different eyes and everything. But that's not enough for me to want to get a dog just because, especially that breed. You know, I I used to have a, a Rottweiler when I was uh, younger. Those are fantastic. Awesome dogs, working dogs. Mm-hmm. Those are working dogs. You know, they need to feel. It's like um, I've watched. You know, the the dog whispers. These are Milan. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes he would he would fix an alleged problem dog by giving the dog a job. So he'd lay like this satchel across and the satchel would hold water bottles or whatever the case is. Suddenly the dog has a sense of purpose and is, and is well behaved. And it's like some dogs are bred for a thing. Some dogs are working dogs. Some dogs are, you know, you might be able to get away with like a toy breed or something like that. That's, you know, a small dog that was bred for certainly not sport or something like that. But then there's other dogs that were bred for a job. They, well, somebody had a vision when they were uh, manipulating that breed and people don't get that. You know, a German Shepherd's a cool looking dog. Yeah. Needs a lot of work, needs a job, needs a lot of exercise to be a happy dog. Oh, and they're fucking smart. Like oh, those man. dogs, I had a German Shepherd when I was a kid um, and we let him in the garage when it got super cold outside and we'd come home and he'd be sitting on the couch. I'm like, how'd that happen? You know, the garage door's locked or closed. And we started seeing scratch marks on the door. What would happen is he figured out if he could put his paws up on the door and stretch it down, he could hit the door handle and he could go sit inside where it was warm. There you go. So that's a smart dog. Um, yeah. Yeah. The dog I have, he, uh, I found out too, there's, since they're burrowers, they like solving problems. And so if you take, like, I'll take this toy he has and completely like wrap it up in a blanket and he just goes crazy and, burrows and digs it out and so then they feel like they have like you said the job and so they've been challenged they solve a problem and it's like kids they just get bored right yeah yeah the same way same way they get bored they need you know they have too much energy whatever have you ever seen those videos of um jack russell terriers or rat terriers and they're they're using them to to clear out a rat problem in in a in a, in a barn hmm. wow. but i can see that working wow I mean, one, it's vicious. It's hard to watch. But two, you go, oh, that dog was made for that job. That's that dog's job. Holy crap. There was not, they would lift up a a thing of plywood and there's, you know, two dozen rats under there. And the Jack Russell Terriers went at it like it's, it's like it was their job. They were Mm -hmm. so fast. They were so efficient. And you went like, that's a little brutal but more efficient than like any other system you know what i mean it was it was it it happened so fast people just you know like i said people just don't get it but certain animals have have certain jobs that's what selective breeding was for yeah they're not just there look cool yeah that's what that's for yeah retrievers you know that's they're called retrievers because they retrieve they they you know they're for duck hunting yep 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 I had an ex who had a retriever, and like any time I would leave my shoes in the house, he would t- pick them up and bring them to me. Yeah, just, yeah, you could yeah. throw something for them to bring back; they'll do that all day. Yeah, well, I didn't all throw them or anything. Day. He just would bring them to me, like that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And, yeah, you, know, you can't get mad at him for it. No, no, it's interesting that we had the foresight to to realize, like, oh yeah, you could do that. 
people way smarter than me because I would have never thought like, oh, well, this dog is pretty good, especially when you think that they all came from wolves and we manipulated them enough to get, you know, retrievers that are going to bring ducks back for you. Uh, and then also French bulldogs that I haven't figured out the use for those yet, but you know, they, they go in your they, purse. What was that? They go in your purse. <laughs> my, uh, my mother has four of them oh, and I don't know why they're cool looking, but like the respiratory issues, cause they have no neck and they have no yeah. snout. And so it's super gas <sighs> all the time, constantly. They can't be out in the heat because it's too much for them. And you know, they can't do this. They can't get too excited because when they start to breathe, they have all these issues and they constantly, so many of them need like a nasal surgery to, mm -hmm. to widen the canal, all this crazy crap, you know, and bulldogs with their, their eyes, they, all of them have, I remember we used to have a English bulldog. We had to trim his eyelids back because mm -hmm. it was just this caking. He couldn't even open them anymore, you know, so he had to get surgery. It's, but it is bizarre that we've managed to take this, essentially same this this dog this animal with a common ancestor and turn it into all of these different things that are so you know a german shepherd comes from the same family as a french bulldog like what <laughs> what yeah how did that happen it's bizarre um what is the coloring book club uh coloring book club is i thought it would be fun again to encourage touch um i made a situation where uh you can actually it comes with its own little crayons, digital crayons, digital pens. Uh, I made little sheets that look like they're on top of a restaurant, like the top of the trays and stuff like that. Yeah. So in theory, what I would like to do is, and also to encourage, uh, so I would like people to color those and uh, take screenshots and send them to me at some point. Uh, I'd like to be able to put that on the Tumblr and just think it'd be kind of some sort of neat little way to uh, get people involved to doing their own little things and post things. And I'm also wanting to encourage people to go back to the recipes. Um, I would love people to actually send in recipes to get drawn um, using those rules. Do you try the recipes? No. <laughs> no, I have not tried them. I'm not going to eat uh, canned snails. You're not going to? They, they have canned snails in ShopRite. They have canned escargot. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't try it? I don't know. I might actually try canned escargot, but I don't think I would actually try uh, the canned snails from the uh, pet shop. Oh, man. That, yeah, that's kind of rough. Yeah, um, a little snippy about it. With the coloring book club, you actually provide the picture to be colored in. Yes, yes, yes. It's all digital, and um, you just actually have to take a screenshot to email it. Okay, and then they can send it straight to your email, and then it can get published yep. on the uh, on the app? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. What other kind of things does this, uh, does it have in there? Because these are just a few of the things that I've seen. Uh, one of the things that I am most happy with, and I think I said something about that, was uh, I made some strips that look like scratcher cards, like lottery ticket cards, and it has a digital coin, and you can actually touch it and scratch everything off. And so you can actually read the comic uh, panel by panel by um, doing that. And I don't know why exactly that one is something that I like so much, but it's short form stuff. It's just like reading um, old like Calvin and Hobbes strips or things like that, but just making people touch it. Uh, and being able to surprise people with the, uh, the reveals and stuff, just really, for some reason, as small as it is, I really liked that a lot. Yeah, we talked about it before, how it's obviously not the same format as a sheet of paper. And so there's all these different uh, dimensions that you can add to it. Is there anything that you're kind of maybe kicking around or, you know, that we haven't seen yet? Because so, I feel like it's just a matter of thinking it up. There's probably an unlimited amount of different things you could do with it. 
Yeah, there's a lot of different things you can do with it. And I'm trying to brainstorm just different ways to be fun and new, um, just to like, like I said, be different. Uh, but right now it's mainly just focusing on the comics side of it and trying to get the social media going. Uh, I think I'll have to have a phase two beginning next year. But um, currently I don't have, I don't think I have anything else that's like new interactive at that point. Um, I did want to talk to you a little bit about, because you mentioned, uh, you know, obviously that you're a comic fan when we were speaking before the show, uh, on Instagram and they just recently released the Avengers trailer. Mm -hmm. And I, it's such a weird thing because when people tell me they don't like the movies, like I get it, everybody's got their own taste, but you're not going to find another experience that has provided you with 10 years of the same universe oh yeah it's I mean, crazy. 10 years of the same i don't know how many films we're in i think we've reached maybe uh i don't know if i'm wrong in saying nearly 20 uh it's a ridiculous amount and now they're also rebooting spider-man and stuff with all that as far as uh you know being back in the marvel universe and x-men's gonna be back in the marvel universe and things like that so I mean, yeah fantastic it, four is coming back yeah. to the marvel universe i mean it doesn't even seem like like this is the last, uh, I, I think that people are saying it's the last Avengers, but it doesn't look like they're stopping at all. I mean, we haven't even seen anything from the new X-Men, from the new Fantastic Four. Uh, you know, they, they have all the Netflix originals. They have uh, Hulu. I think Cloak and Dagger is on Hulu. The uh, New Mutants is on Hulu. I mean, yeah. it's, it's amazing the amount of... I think the only thing that's close to it is probably the Harry Potter movies or um, only or Star six Wars. of those. Yeah, and the yeah, reason well, I think they're close is because you've got that many movies that are all part of the same universe, which is cool. It's very cool to see all these different things. But from Iron Man, not even just from Iron Man one, from probably the Hulk with Ed Norton, because uh, they borrowed from that as well, where he's in Mexico or Colombia or wherever he is at the end of that movie. Everything's been tied in since then. There's nothing that does that. So. Yeah, no, crazy too because it's not like they're doing that on a small level either those are 200 million dollar movies and just you can go back through and like look at the tesseract stuff and they'll, i can't remember where i saw the infographic of it that actually like completely and totally showed the timeline from each and every movie how the tesseract stuff uh, applied to it and it, you know it's just insane the amount of world building that goes into that and the amount of success they've had with it is crazy because they haven't really screwed any of them up. I mean, there's some of them that just haven't been as good as the top notch. You mm -hmm. know, like Infinity War was, to me, it was the best thing that they had done so far, which is beautiful because it's, it's, you're not always, it's not always a given that you're going to wait on something this long and you're going to get the final product and it's going to smash it out of the park. But Infinity War did that. And maybe you could say that Ant-Man was like, underwhelming but only in comparison to the the best of the man was fantastic i thought the the most recent one felt a little bit slow and i realized that the reason it felt a little bit slow is because i just watched infinity war okay like of course it feels a little bit slow we just watched half the universe die you know what i mean so yeah it's it's unfair it's an unfair bias well yeah it's like it's watching i don't know exactly how to explain it. it's just like something on an epic scale and then going down to me and you talking Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. It's not. There's nothing that I watched the last Harry Potter film in theaters, and I thought they did a fantastic job. Uh, I was always a big fan of that series, and um, but 
that's about the closest I can compare to the feeling of like sitting in the theater, watching Infinity War, watching the story unfold, all the dramas and every everything that's happening uh, to individual characters. It was unbelievable. I left there feeling, I mean, a good movie is going to leave you feeling emotional, you know, because it's a weird experience. I think uh, I've heard people say before, like, a good movie should leave you feeling like the world is different when you walk out of the theater. And it did that. Oh, man, it did that. I, I, I wanted to talk to, to people on the way out like that I didn't know about. You know, did you see that? What did you think about this? This is so unreal. And, you well, know, they did a, just, the they fact do, is there's so much like there's so many characters in that movie to be able to do it that well and give every character like one moment of their own, like just physically speaking on page, like the amount of pages that's in a script. It's amazing that they were able to do that and have everyone still like be involved it's gotten to the point where it's it's scary to me because i'm like the stakes are so high now they've done everything so well if they drop the ball once it's gonna you know it's gonna be a huge deal if they do yeah and the fact that they haven't is incredible it's absolutely incredible because like you said juggling that many characters on stage i i i couldn't um in the in civil war was mm -hmm. it so when did they introduce spider-man it was civil war yeah in civil war that was our first taste of like that many characters on screen and they did that well and i was i was really worried about that you know what i mean because it's you kind of become emotionally attached to this series after 10 years plus you know since iron man one and um the fact that they managed to do that so well and then to go to infinity war and you know, how many more characters is that than Civil War? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's to crazy. do it even better, even yeah. better. And also to tell a compelling story and to, to give you the best version of that story, too, because it's, you know, these comic books are, are near and dear to so many fans' hearts. And that's another thing. If you drop the ball in regards to screwing that comic up, you know, people are going to crucify you for that. And nope, they hit the ball out of the park. They told, uh, outside of it being a Marvel movie, um, if you look at it in context of just a good story and, you know, emotional depth, and it was an amazing movie. Yeah, it was fantastic. I think my favorite two out of the whole bunch would be the new Spider-Man, the Tom Holland Spider-Man, and then Ragnarok. Like, Ragnarok, Ragnarok is a goofy, weird movie. Oh. It's, like, bizarre to me that they even got that movie made. Like, yeah. it's just, I, I think I told you the... Uh, told a friend of mine that it's basically Tango and Cash in space yep. with Hulk and Thor. So it's just like a weird, goofy buddy movie. And I've watched the intro to that movie, I don't know how many times, the part where it's like, no, oh, it's an eyebrow. You know, talking about <laughs> and stuff. I mean, there's just so many weird little things that you can't imagine, like being in a in a Marvel movie or, you know, giving somebody $200 million to make that. I think they've gotten so comfortable now. You know, it's the same thing. It's like being on stage and putting in you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds or thousands of hours, you know what I mean? After years mm -hmm. and years and years, it's some legend will get on the stage and they're so comfortable, you know, by that point. It's the same thing. It's like they've smashed it out of the park so many times. I think they've gotten to the point where they're willing to, to take risks. And also the big takeaway is like, oh, Chris Hemsworth is hilarious. Oh, God, he's hilarious. Um, I would never have believed, although, uh, did you ever read the Walt Simonson Thor stuff? No. Okay, it's this great classic, classic cartoony stuff. Uh, but I loved that stuff growing up, and I loved the Hulk. But I would never have thought if you told me that there was going to be a Marvel universe that I'd be like, oh yeah, Thor's my favorite. Like 
he's just so fucking charming. Like everything he does. Oh, yeah. Is, yeah. He's great. He's funny. Um, the Spider-Man stuff is super funny. Did you watch it? it? Spider-Man Spider Homecoming? What? Did you watch Spider-Man Homecoming? I did, yeah. Yeah, that's a fantastically funny movie. All the weird little things that they did. Um, the choices that they didn't chose not to make uh, were great. Like, the yeah. man, hilarious. Um, but, like, they chose not to make an origin story for him. Because we know who Spider-Man is. a very good move. Yeah, it's great. We don't have to tell that story again because we already know who he is. And so we can just go tell a good Spider-Man story. I think that that movie, it did so well, and it is one of my favorites, but it would have done even better if it wasn't for people uh, dismissing it because of the amount of times that we've gotten Spider-Man. The, the outside, you know, the, someone who's not necessarily a fan of Marvel, but who would have watched a Spider-Man movie had it not been for the you know, X amount of renditions of Spider-Man, that was a little bit of a bummer to me because I'll still hear that uh, to this day. You know, people will bring up Avengers on like a podcast or something and next thing you know, they'll be talking about Spider-Man and somebody who's not uh, very aware of the series will say something like, oh, you know, how many times are we going to get Spider-Man? We don't need him anymore, da 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 uh, But I'll tell you what, one of the things that seemed to escape that, um, that kind of a, a situation was... Uh, into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse apparently is amazing. I haven't yeah. seen it, but it's apparently amazing. Yeah, one of my studio mates is at it tonight. Uh, I really want to see that. I've heard nothing but fantastic things. Um, I know the guy who created Spider-Gwen, and he could not be any more happy about seeing that on screen. So he's just said it's a fantastic movie. So, and Miles Morales is so much fun. I mean, I can't wait to watch that one. Plus, Peter I, Porker. Yeah, Peter exactly. Well, yeah. I, I've heard that it's... um that people are calling it the best Marvel movie yet, you know, so I'll take it. Yeah, well, hopefully we get more animated movies too, you know, because then you don't have to actually worry about the people playing them getting older. Yeah, well, there's always that, the the lingering doom of uh, Robert Downey Jr. and whether or not he's going to continue. You know, when you get somebody who seems so perfectly made for a role, it's like, well, well how are they going to do it? Because I'm emotionally attached at this point, man. If you get rid of Robert Downey Jr., I'm going to be upset. Well, also, the thing is, is, he's got all the money in the world because he was a producer on those movies. Like he came in with points at the beginning, so he doesn't have to do this forever. So right. uh, at some point in time, he's going to just be like, ah, I want to hang out with my kids. Yeah. Which, you know, is going to be uh, a bummer. It, it, that it's, it's very much like, are you a fan of game of Thrones? Uh, I've only seen the first three seasons and I liked it, but it's, I had a period of time where my pop culture is just completely missing because I was just busy working on stuff. And so I always want to get back to watching it, and I have never gotten back to watching it. Well, that's the beautiful thing about the internet is it's it's frozen in time for you whenever you yeah. should decide. Well, but, I, was uh, to, well, I was listening to your um, kettlebell workout uh, interview, and you guys talking about Game of Thrones and um, the guy, uh, the mountain and the hound right. and stuff. What's his name? The uh, Bjorn? Thor Bjornsson. Yeah, yeah, because he's talking about working out next to that guy and just seeing him being twice his size. I mean, that guy's crazy. Yeah, that that you know, that's one of those series though where it's so good that you know it's like I I do believe this season's going to be the last one. Mm -hmm. And I talk about it in another podcast where uh The Walking Dead is I don't know what season they're on, but the the thing about a great show is I use the Batman line where it's either you die a great show or you run long enough to become a shit show. Mm -hmm. And it's a bummer, but like 
luckily the Marvel universe is huge, but it's going to have to give us an end at some point. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do as far as ending it. They'll have to go at some point in time and reboot like Star Trek did. Right, right, yeah. which, you know, is is probably an inevitability, but it's like I, I was a huge fan of Breaking Bad, and Breaking Bad started... <laughs> It's a, an amazing show. It's it, to me, it's the bar for shows. Yeah. That was the first show that I watched that really uh, it kept me from being able to enjoy shows like um, anything on the on on Pix Eleven or or whatever it is in in other states. But it's like where Arrow airs um, mm-hmm. or 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 Gotham. I hear Gotham's good, but like I couldn't watch Arrow because the acting. It was just a, a matter of the acting, and Breaking Bad really did that to me. Breaking Bad ended. It had to end. If they would have kept giving us that show, even though Walt had cancer and was, you know, uh, a meth kingpin, if you would have kept pushing the bar and given us season eight, nine, and all this crap, eventually it would have disseminated into a, a crap show. And at this point, Walking The Walking Dead has gone on for so many seasons where it should have ended. It should have ended multiple seasons ago. I don't watch it anymore. But I could tell you around like season four, I thought like, this is it, man. It should just end. But we're still, we still have the same characters and everything. And I think uh, Game of Thrones is smart in that. Yeah, this is the last season. That's it. It's yeah, all we're going to the next run into the dirt. We're not going to try to do a cash grab and, and keep milking it and, you know, kicking the horse. It's got to end. It's a story. They set out to tell a story and the story has to come to an end because every good story does, you know? So it's, it's sad, but that's what a good series does, which brings me back to what I was originally saying, is like Marvel, the cinematic universe is so good that every once in a while I'm met with the idea that it's going to end and I have to like shake that away and push it to the side because I know one day it's going to happen, but I love it so much I don't even want to think about it. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that I read that they don't have anything else planned after Phase 2, but I'd imagine that's going to be 10 years worth of stuff for the planned Phase 3, you know, whatever, so... Um, or phase, they don't have anything planned after phase three. I can't remember exactly the terminology, but um, it's they've done such a fantastic job. Uh, when they first started putting those movies out, I didn't really have any expectations, um, and they just have knocked it out of the park for, like I said, ten years. And I don't know how what I don't know what their chalkboards have to look like, or you know, dry erase boards to know what relates to what to what to what to what and how they connect. It's just crazy. Yeah, there's enough YouTube videos out there, though, like that give you timelines and give you connecting things that are just, you know, that'll keep you busy for an entire week or something like that. But what they've managed to do, it is it is incredible. I don't think anything's ever going to give us this much of a fleshed out universe as and it's, you know, obviously they had a lot of material to draw from. But to be able to see it uh, adhered to the big screen in such a, a, a great way, like it was a great representation of all these comics through all these years. You know, and they kind of borrowed from one version. There was little little variations where they kind of did the Age of Ultron thing. And it was like, well, that's hard to do because Wolverine was a huge part of that series. He's the one that went back in time uh, because of Reed Richards. And you don't have X-Men. You also don't have uh, Fantastic Four. But they still made it work. And, you know, but as far as going into a Phase 3 thing, they have... You know, they've got uh, X-Men coming down the pipe, and they've got Fantastic Four coming down the pipe. And well, it seems Marvel like, too, which looks great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's going to be fantastic. That's going to be fantastic. I think it's going to, you know, I at this point, I, I can't really doubt it, you know? Yeah, no, they do great stuff. So I'm kind of looking forward to all that. I still need to watch Doctor Strange. That may be the only one I haven't watched. Oh, 
man, let me tell you, when we were talking about Thor Ragnarok and, and I said, yeah, that's up there. Oh, now. that was great. The Doctor Strange <laughs> stuff Strange in there. Strange is up there. It is. Yeah. It's such a, um, a veering off from the other superheroes, obviously, because he's not some uh, strength-based, you know, blaster type of a character, but um, it's it was such a good story. The way they told it, Benedict uh, Cucumber Butt was fantastic, and it just... I, that's the other thing, too, is the way they pick the actors. Like, I don't want anybody else but Chris Hemsworth. I don't want anybody yeah. else but Benedict Cucumber Batch, or damn it, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. I, just, I don't want anybody but uh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, you know, Tom Holland is fantastic. Uh, fantastic. Even, Mark Ruffalo is is a hilarious banner, great. but he's also a great banner. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's they just even um uh who plays Natasha Romanoff, uh, Scarlett Johansson, yeah. fantastic. She's I, I think they're even thinking about doing a standalone Black Widow movie, uh, really? which yeah I've heard a lot of talk about it. It would be a prequel to like you know it would be darker. It would be darker uh, because it would be how she became you know the Natasha Romanoff Black Widow. Uh, it's they just managed to cast perfectly. I remember seeing this little joke where it was like, if the movies were made in the '90s, and the cast was ridiculous. It was like, uh, you know, Tom Hanks was in it. Uh, what's what's the guy's name? The Scientologist. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise was in it. Uh, it was every every single actor was a cliche actor. Uh, so, you know, we, we avoided that bullet and we managed to get Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Like there's nobody else. There's nobody else that could be Iron Man. Yeah, no, he's perfect as that. And that's actually one of my least favorite characters of the group. Is he really? He was, yeah. I, I, that first Iron Man movie, I mean, I think he, I know that the most recent renditions of Tony Stark in the comics are kind of molded after his example. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about previous ones, uh, but I think he did such a good job of bringing that character to life. Well, the thing people don't understand because the Avengers is so big now is that uh, Iron Man wasn't like a big, huge, popular character like Spider-Man or, you know, Wolverine or whatever like that. Because X-Men was selling five billion copies of stuff before this. And so they took basically, you know, a B-level character and built an entire universe with billions and billions of dollars off of uh the Avengers and stuff. So the IP for that was uh, ridiculous in comparison to what people actually knew about the Avengers at the time. Right. And they've kind of molded him as the main figurehead. Yeah. 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 That first movie, um, I say sometimes that I think it's flawed because it doesn't have a real bad guy, bad guy. Like you don't have Darth Vader at the beginning with his heels clicking on the ground or something. But as far as like just a character study and the way he handles things is so good. Right. Yeah. They, those Iron Man standalone films were never really one for the main villain. It was really always just watching, you know, Tony Stark as mm -hmm. Iron Man. Well, I really like the third one a lot, but I'm a huge Shane Black fan, so. Who was the, was that? Um, the Mandarin. The Mandarin. Yeah, a lot of people were upset about that. I, a lot of people, as much as they like Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, regard the Iron Man films as lower on the totem pole compared to all the rest of them, which uh, I, I could see it, but. The Mandarin, uh, the third one, that was definitely, most people regard that as, like, the worst one. I thought the second one was the worst one, but um, I, yeah, really, I, didn't like I really like, 
Well, the third one is a Shane Black movie. I mean, it's, he's the guy who wrote Lethal Weapon. and uh, Okay. He wrote Long Kiss Goodbye and The Last Boy Scout. And he also wrote, came, kind of came back uh, and wrote Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is fantastic. He directed that too. And so it's a movie that's very much a Shane Black movie. And I think some people wanted it to be more of an Iron Man movie. Gotcha, yeah. Yeah, it, um, that I like those films because I like uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. But, mm-hmm. you know, the... I think when we really realized like somebody else had stolen the cake was probably the second um, Captain America mm-hmm. Winter Soldier. That's mm-hmm. when things really changed. And uh, I thought for a while there, uh, Chris Evans, Captain America was like carrying the torch. That movie was, it, it felt different. That was the first one that was darker in tone. That was the first Russo brothers movie too. Yeah. Oh, that explains everything. Then there you go. Yeah. That, yeah, was, that was the one with movie. like doing crazy parkour and running everywhere and like busting down walls and crap. Like all the fight scenes in there are amazing. Tremendous. Tremendous. Yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic movie. But ever since then, it was like it took on this this tone of like. I think that's when they first really started to. Make the phases. Uh, in a way that they were accept, uh, accessible online. Like you could go and see what phase two was going to be and every how everything was mapped out. And that's when you really knew like that Marvel had turned into this snowball effect and that we were going to, we were in it for the long run. That's really when that started to happen. Before that, it was like just unbelievable that we were even getting the Avengers. I remember when they first right. announced the Avengers and you were like, they're all going to be on the same screen. Holy crap. And, but uh, I think after that, when the Winter Soldier came out, you realize like, oh, there's way more. Like we didn't just get. I remember people arguing about whether or not Spider Man was going to be in Civil War, and so many people, including myself, were like, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And then there was this huge argument about whether or not we were going to get the X Men, and then it was just, it was just not going to happen, you know. And then at this point, I don't. They're talking about folding Deadpool into that universe somehow. I haven't watched the second wow. Deadpool, but I was so surprised at how good the first one was. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The it was... opening scene of that with the fight scene and everybody rolling around and stuff. And Ryan Reynolds can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. He is just hilarious. Absolutely. And it's not fair. Absolutely. Yeah, that guy is hilarious. I really can't. Uh... And it seems like, you know, he had that issue where he played Deadpool in uh, X-Men Origins or Wolverine Origins, whatever oh, it yeah. was. And... It was so strange in the direction they decided to go with Deadpool, where it was like his mouth was sewn shut. He was also this like accumulation of a bunch of different powers and and you know, but the mouth was gone, like his ability to be he was snarky for a moment. They had him as a, as a, an assassin before he had you know this terrible thing done to him where they tried to turn him into a weapon X. But uh, after that, like I couldn't tell you what in the hell made them decide to take away the charm of, of his shit talking and then give him all of these different crazy powers that weren't even necessarily true to the comic. It was a very strange, but for a moment, that's when you first got to see like, Oh, Ryan Reynolds would have made a great Deadpool. Yeah, no, he's back. He is so, it's so unfair because he's good looking. He's rich. He's charming and he's hilarious. It's just not fair. The piece of shit. Yeah. Just horrifying. Plus, and you'll see all the stuff that he posts online. He'll just post something goofy for Deadpool and things. And it's just like, that guy's fantastic. Yeah, I think they gave him, I, I don't really know the details of it, but I like to think they gave him a lot of creative control because I think that he, a lot of that just comes straight from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? he's, I even liked him on that pizza girl. It was, uh, do you remember the TV show, Two Guys, a Girl in a Pizza Shop? Yeah. 
Like he was even fun, funny back then. Yeah, and then he was yeah, uh, Van Wilder. Hilarious. Yeah, it's, no, he's very funny. It does seem like Deadpool was his thing, though. It's the same thing for. I I don't know if Hugh Jackman is meant to play Wolverine, like one of those type of deals, or if it was just like it was cool to see Wolverine and and Hugh Jackman had been doing it for so long. But I felt like he was a great Wolverine. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is a great Deadpool. It's just these characters keep finding their actors. Well, the first time I saw um, X1, I was like, oh, my God, that's like Clint Eastwood in his youth. Like, yeah. That's who is playing. It's like watching Clint Eastwood, the Wolverine. He was so right, good. Right, right. Which I like that. I like that. Oh, me too. No, I love Clint Eastwood. I mean, he's somebody who uh, you kind of don't, you forget how much he's directed for, since the last, like, He's doing years. another movie. Yeah. I don't really have oh. a lot of interest in that one. Probably not, but have you ever seen Gran Torino? Yeah. Great movie. He does really interesting, interesting stuff. Um, that one was the classic cranky old white guy movie. But um, the get off my lawn, I think, was actually one of the uh, lines, wasn't it? Yeah, probably. I think that was one of the original names for the movie. Yeah. Well, mil- who would have thought he would have done something like Million Dollar Baby? It was a great movie. Yeah. Uh, a lot well, of I mean, amazing things, uh, like just being alive at this age. Yeah. Well, Unforgiven. Like, yeah, that's just an absolutely classic neo-Western and stuff. And people, as much as I like Logan, people were like comparing it, saying it's as good as Unforgiven. And it's good, but it's not as good as Unforgiven. Logan was, I, I don't know. I loved it. And I think that it was great, but it also was, I don't want to say it was blown out of proportion, but it, like they decided to release a black and white version of it. Oh, did they? Yeah, and I just thought, like, oh, that's a little, you know, like... It they was did that good. with Fury Road. What's that? They did that with Fury Road. I've never seen Fury Road. Fury Road is absolutely, positively, 100% one of my favorite movies of all time. It's amazing. The, uh, I had no interest in seeing that uh, whenever they um, had first announced it. I was like, no, Mel Gibson is Mad Max. That's not going to work. And it's right, right. insanely good. And you go watch it. And it, the directing is fantastic. The stunts are fantastic. All the hot rod stuff in it. Like whenever I watched that movie, that's one of the reasons that my story got so much longer. Is I was like, oh, I don't have any hot rod stuff in the middle of this. The whole middle of it is going to be boring. And I just saw all this shit happen. Like the way they're exploding cars. They're jumping from car to car and stuff. It's an amazing movie. I could not recommend that one anymore. I, I don't know what how it adds to the film Logan to, to make it in black and white, though. Like, I don't see that as a, what are you doing? How does that give me anything? Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's just a little little bit of a silly gimmick. But, I mean, the movie was great, and I, and I did get emotional, and I think the girl that played X-23 uh, was awesome. Mm-hmm. I think that little girl did fantastic. I, I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing them go in a route where, uh, as she gets older, they do a solo X-23 movie. You know, I don't know how that would fit into the whole storyline and whether or not that'd be something that was viable, but I, I would I would go and see that. She was great. Yeah, the, uh, um, who knew Patrick Stewart could act? He was so good in that movie. He was amazing. He was, and I love their relationship. Yeah. Between no, Wolverine and Professor X. It was great. No, it was fantastic. It was a good, and, you know, they still talk about, I still hear about it from time to time, like, Hugh Jackman says he would reprise his role if it was with Marvel. Really? Yeah, I, I've seen that quote. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I would hate to see them move away from him 
and give us somebody else. I'm sure there's plenty of people that would do a fantastic. Uh, I thought Tom Hardy might have been a good. That's movie. what I thought too. Right, but then he yeah. went and did Venom, and now I'm just confused. I don't know what the hell's going on there. Why they would do that? Uh, but it just it feels like one of those too good to be true things. Like, are you really going to give us Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and, and and fold him into the cinematic universe? Like, you know what I mean? And they well, at some point in time he's going to have to stop working out like that. He's Holy 50. crap! Yeah, there's a, a lot more than working out going on there. That man is on a bunch of crap at the moment or what he's doing these movies. I've never huge Jackman. That dude is yoked all the time. Yeah, no, I don't know how he operates under that low body fat. Um, I don't know. I had a friend who, uh, he did Ironmans and stuff and he was just ripped all the time and it blew out his immune system. Yeah. 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 That'll happen. You have to be dehydrated as well to get to that sort of like that, that physique, yeah. you know? So the fact that he is, that dehydrated and doing these action scenes and acting at the same time and you know and I've 50. heard on set the hours are ridiculous you know you're doing all day and that can't be something that you can keep up in the long run no i mean it's not something i imagine he wants to keep up i mean he's a musical actor too which is what's crazy yeah he's a very talented guy he's a very yeah. talented guy well, he's um, super talented but yeah I, I one of those things would be too good to be true but i can't cast it out because i thought that was going to be the same thing with spider-man I didn't think that was going to happen, you know, and they're, they they did that. They put all our heroes on the same screen. They they pulled it off fantastically. They did Deadpool. They're talking about folding that in. This whole universe is just bizarre that we're getting this. Uh, well, and, and how good was Michael Keaton? Fantastic. He was so great as the Vulture. Like, he was one of those. They did such a good job of making you understand the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, they did. Like yeah. I completely got why he did what he did, and it was such a good one. And there was a surprise. I don't want to say anything exactly what it is, but the surprise most of the way through the movie when you see something with him, um, with Peter, was really, really, really a good. I did not see that coming. Oh, oh, what, what? How you don't want to spoil it? Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, you know, they, they, they alluded a bunch of characters in there that I don't know if they're going to flesh him out further uh, down the line or, or you know, what the case is. I remember they were thinking about doing a Sinister Six movie. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I don't know if since, uh, I don't know if they're going to do that, though. I thought that I had heard that, but since Marvel's getting a hold of it as opposed to Fox, I think that that's going to be off the table. I hope so, because the decisions made with Spider-Man in the past were like, you know, a little bit, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I liked Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I liked the, the outfit. I liked, uh, you know, he wasn't true to the Peter Parker character. Uh, but their interpretation of it wasn't the worst thing. But it just seems like, you know, they want to do the Sinister Six. They're doing the standalone Venom film. Like, I don't know what will show you. Marvel is doing it true to the comic books to the best of their capabilities. And it's a massive success every time they do it. Yeah. And I get that you want to vary from that because you're not Marvel and you're your own brand. But you're not having success in it. They did pretty good with the first couple of Spider-Man movies, but, I mean, that was also them getting used to it. You know, it's, like, really, as far as I'm concerned, the first of the real, like, superhero, superhero movies that did well was, uh, did you watch Blade? Oh, yeah. Yeah, people yeah. sleep on that. People yeah. sleep on Blade, man. That was a great movie. Yeah, the beginning when he walks into the rave with the sword. He's talking about reprising his role as Blade. Oh, funny. Yeah, Wesley Snipes. I saw that probably about two months ago that um, Marvel just got the rights to Blade, and that's a fact. They just got Blade back, and that um, 
they're looking into or Wesley Snipes is open to the idea or whatever, but there there's something in production or there's some sort of gears moving in that direction. So we're going to get Blade again. Okay. Now, because I loved it. I didn't watch the second one, I don't think. But uh, I think, didn't Guillermo, uh, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro work on one of those? Um, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I thought he like did something with the third one. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of people who came out of that, like David Goyer and a bunch of people came out of the Blade franchise that are do really great work. Yeah, it kind of uh, evaporated, you know, towards the, the second movie and then the third movie didn't do that well. But the first one was fantastic, man. I thought it was great. Yeah, you know? I'm looking forward to the new Hellboy movie. Oh, oh, man, I'm excited about that. I love the Hellboy movies. I thought they were great before. But now they've got the guy who played, um, I forget what the hell his name was, but from... Deputy. Yeah, the, the deputy from... Um, yeah. Stranger Things. Uh, Stranger Things, which is a fantastic series. And the idea that he's going to be... I remember seeing a teaser photo of him. Yeah, it was great. Boy, he was huge. Yeah, no, I ran into him on Venice Beach. He uh, was having coffee, and I left him alone. He looked like that, huh? Yeah. No, no, he didn't look unfriendly at all, actually. I just didn't want to bug him while he was uh, having coffee. But I love, uh, I love Hellboy a lot. And uh, I love all the Del Toro movies. And I do think that Neil Marshall is a cool director. So I kind of want to see what he does with the character as much as, uh, as much as I like Del Toro. Well, I'm curious to see what they're going to do because it was supposed to be this, uh, everything was boiling up to this one moment where Hellboy, you know, kind of fulfilled the prophecy of destroying, you know, bringing the apocalypse about. Yeah. And and then we just didn't, we fell short. We never got there, which was a shame because I thought, uh, you know, Hellboy and the Golden Army was awesome. Oh, that was first Hellboy was awesome. They were great movies. And it was a shame to see him stop the way that they did. So I wonder, are they going to continue that? And are we going to see that version? Or are they going to give us another Origins or, or what's going to happen? I think they're probably, I don't want to say smart enough because you could probably do it. But I think that we won't get another origins and that we'll just get a continuation of some sort, some, some way it won't be a strict origin story. I don't think it's going to end up being in the same line as the uh, Ron Perlman stuff. From what I understand, um, Mignola wanted to be a lot more involved with it. And it's more of a Mike Mignola Hellboy than a uh, Del Toro one. So I think it's going to be significantly darker. That's great. That's great. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't mind the, the kind of lightheartedness of the other ones though. They, they did that really well, but you know, we, we have that version. And to see a darker version of it, uh, because those those that series can be pretty dark. Oh yeah, it's fantastic though. Yeah, it is. It is fantastic. It is a great story. Uh, you know, you, you fall in love with the guy who brings about the apocalypse. Yeah, no, um, I've got volumes and volumes of the comics in here, and uh, it's always so much fun to read. There's like one of those books that I think the holiday series just came out this week, and no matter what, I will always pick it up. That's awesome. Well, Eric Lundy, we're hitting uh, the two-hour mark. Do you want to? Oh, geez. Is there anywhere that you know? Uh, where can my listeners find your work? Uh, you can find it at hollowlegcomics.com. Uh, it's H-O-L-L-O-W-L-E-G comics.com. Um, it's also the same on Twitter and Instagram. All right, great. Thank you very much, man. I really appreciate you taking out the time to talk to me, and uh, and it was a pleasure. You, you, I, I wish we could go longer, because it seems like right at the end there, when it came to the comic book stuff, I'd love to pick your brain. Maybe we could do it again sometime. Cool. Well, you have a good day. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, brother. Take care.